This podcast is provided for general information and for general information purposes only and does not replace your financial, tax, legal or finance product advice. Hello everyone and welcome to The Female Investor, your chance to listen to two of Australia's leading property experts talking about all things property, buying, finance, strategy and lots more. Kate Hill and Nicola McDougall are the authors of the book, The Female Investor, Creating Wealth, Security and Freedom Through Property. Kate is an award-winning property mentor and coach, a qualified property investment advisor and founder of buyer's agency, Advisable. And she's a successful property investor herself. Nicola is an award-winning and prolific property journalist. She has been involved in property research, analysis and reporting for 15 years. And she is also a successful property investor herself. Property investment is one of the simplest, safest and preferred ways for women to create financial freedom. And with the right information to make an educated and informed decision, this can be achieved. If you know a woman who is concerned about her financial future, or maybe that's you, If you're keen to improve your chances of creating an income for life, then this is your place to learn, be inspired and motivated. Along with some special guests, Kate and Nicola will be offering genuine practical news and tips to women of any age to stake your claim on the property market. So come on ladies, stay tuned and let's do this together. Hello, all you lovely ladies out there. How is everybody doing? It's Kate here. I've got a couple of different segments for you this week. The first is a conversation that I had with Tina Howes. You'll remember her from our Property Finance Essentials series where we talked about how important the interest rate on your loan actually is. And this week, Tina was asking me some pretty hard questions. It was really good fun about what makes a good property investment. So be sure to stay tuned for that. And then after that, I have got some property news updates for you. So as always, let's get straight into our Female Investor Podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm here with Tina Howes from Smart Move, one of Australia's leading and most award-winning mortgage broking firms. Now, this time around, Tina wanted to ask me some questions, and she's looking for some of my insights as a qualified property investment advisor. So, Tina, uh, tell us why we're here and what question or questions you have for me today. (laughs) Thank you, Kate. Now, obviously, people come to see me when they need finance. Mm. Um, They've decided they want to buy a house or an investment, or perhaps they've gone and seen a buyer's agent such as yourself Mm. uh, and who said to them, well, we need to understand how much you can borrow. Um, But what I really want to try and understand and and hear from you, because obviously I've heard it from you for many, many years. Yeah. um, But the, the key question of what makes a good investment property, and before you jump into that, one thing I see typically all the time is people when they want to buy, say, their first investment property is they will generally look in an area that they know. 
mm. because mm. that's sort of the suburb that they know and they think they know mm. what is good in that area. Mm. Um, but I guess I'm, I'm keen to hear how we can expand sort of outside that, um, that realm. Yeah. Wow. That's a big one. <laughs> um, and I do get asked that all the time. So, you know, what makes a good investment? Um, where are you buying for all your clients at the moment? I get that a lot as well, yeah. right? And the answer will forever be, it depends on the buyer. <laughs> I'm always buying, I shouldn't say I, there's a team of us, we. We are always buying in really great areas, but each of those areas is suitable for each particular client, right? Now that's not meant to be passive or not passive, but it's not meant to be vague or evasive. But as an overview, if I can put it like that, a good property investment is one that you can afford, afford to buy. Mm -hmm. It's one that you can afford to hold, mm -hmm. one that will grow in value or give you rental yield that you need or ideally both. So that's kind of, that's a bit of a snapshot, if you like. Now, obviously we will drill into that, right? Mm -hmm. Because I, I'm a firm believer that buying a property asset purely for rental yield is a bit of an opportunity cost, right? Um, a good property investment is one that suits the buyer making the investment. Now, that does mean that you need a rental yield that, like I said, you can afford, right? You mm -hmm. need to be able to afford to hold the asset. Um, and there are, you know, hundreds of different areas around Australia. You know, they all have good growth potential. Not every area has good growth potential, but lots of areas have good growth potential. They have different price points. They have different yields. And by yields, we mean the rent to property price ratio, right? Um, there are obviously different property types. And I, I really can't stress this enough. It's just not a one size fits all approach when we say what makes a good investment. You know, you can't just make a blanket statement and go, well, it's in this city and it's this property type for this price, um, you know, with this kind of rent. Because <laughs> client for client A or buyer A, that's going to look completely different how it does for buyer B over here. So, so let's say we have a buyer A mm. that has a, a healthy amount of free cash flow. Mm. Um, they want to have a property that gives them great yield and great capital growth. Mm. Um, what would you say to that? Oh, that's what we all want. <laughs> <laughs> can you have both? That's what we all want. Yes, I think you can, actually. I do think you can. So... Uh, but the, but what you said there is really key because what you're what you're telling me there is a little bit more about the actual client or the buyer's situation, right? Mm -hmm. So if we look, for example, at two different scenarios here, right? For um, uh, like an example buyer for uh, on an average an average income earner, and in mm -hmm. Australia on a marginal rate of rate of tax, so let's say thirty two and a half percent, right? Let's say they have a 2.5% interest rate on an interest-only loan. All of these things make a difference to that outcome, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so you have a scenario whereby it's a $750,000 property. It's a newer-style property, brick-style, mm -hmm. relatively newish, let's say, mm -hmm. 
it's old or you know or younger it's in a yeah. capital city and it's getting 450 dollars a week in rent mm-hmm. for that buyer the mm-hmm. average income earner that we just talked about that's going to yeah. cost them about $100 a week before any tax concessions. Interest only loan, two and a half percent. It's about $100 a week. Yeah. Costing them. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, um, and that is borrowing the full amount of that purchase price. Mm-hmm. Scenario two, it's a $500,000 property. It's a bit of an older one, let's mm-hmm. say in a regional city. Mm-hmm. All good growth areas getting also getting 450 bucks a week in rent. Mm-hmm. This one will actually make that person money. They will earn about $20 a week before paying tax on that, on that, on that income. So for the same, the same buyer, two mm-hmm. different scenarios, two different areas, two different property types. They both, let's assume they both have really good growth potential in terms of the areas, right? Mm-hmm. But which one would you choose? Right now, if you're a higher income earner, then the outcome for both properties will be completely different. Mm-mm. Right. Yeah. So, Do you need to factor in, though, with the second example that doesn't cost you anything now because it's older? Is there likely to be more things to fix up and more money to spend? Not necessarily, because sometimes those older properties have been very well renovated. Mm-hmm. So, and with the depreciation changes that came into effect a few years ago, you're not going to be able to claim anything on that property anyway, regard, unless you're the one that renovates it, right? Mm-hmm. So you are, if it's been renovated well, then some of those older properties that are also, let's say, brick and tile, mm-hmm. they, are, they are built like nuclear bunkers, Tina, and there is very little to do. Sometimes mm-hmm. with the newer properties, you actually have mm-hmm. a lot more repairs mm-hmm. and maintenance mm-hmm. to do than you do with something that was built back in the 70s and 80s that's been sat there quite happily, yeah. You know, like they the, don't build them like they used to. They don't build them like they used to. Exactly. So, um, yes. So those two scenarios, um, they, the, the personal circumstances of the buyer in those two scenarios are really, really important. That's why, yeah. um, you know, getting, knowing what it is, knowing your situation and knowing what you need is really, yeah. really important. Yeah. So having covered that off, um, and we are going to do another, we're going to have another conversation about what actually drives growth in, right. in what you're buying. We're just talking right now about that, what makes a good investment. Uh-huh. Um, I do want to cover off on some of those essentials of really Ooh. what makes a good property investment. So yeah. and there's a term that gets banded about a lot, which is investment grade property. You don't really just apply that to property, you, you apply it to area as well. Uh-huh. So um, now I'm going to do a bit of a shameless blatant plug here. We go into this in great detail in our book, The Female Investor, which is available in all good bookstores. But uh, as number one, as a sort of an essential, uh, what makes a good property investment? It is one, I would say, that has been, um, how can I phrase it, clinically, like objectively assessed on its merits and suitability for you. Not because it's around the corner from where you live, like you Mm -hmm. just said earlier, not because your mate last night recommended it because they read something in one of those investment magazines, but it's been put through its paces. It's been assessed. You've been, you or your advisor, you've been completely objective about it um, and check that it's right for you. So see all those comments I just made, right? About those different areas 
property prices and the outcomes for you. Mm -hmm. So that is really, really key. Um, you're not making an emotional decision. You are clinically assessing it. If clinically is the right word. I'm hoping you all know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Number two is the location, right? It might seem really, really obvious, but the location will absolutely do 70, 80, if not more percent of the heavy lifting when it comes to you getting capital growth, but also rental income and securing good tenants. So you don't just go leaping onto realestate.com or a real estate website out there, picking the property first and the location as an afterthought of, you know, all property grows in value. It doesn't. I promise you it can be your undoing. You need to do that research first. You need to find the best location. And that might mean it is not around the corner from where you live. It might not even be in your town or your state. What about the, you know, we went somewhere for a nice holiday and we think mm. that you can pick something up in a nice area and Airbnb it or. Oh my God. Can we do a whole other conversation on that one? Please <laughs> don't do it. Please don't do it. <laughs> that, uh, that fits into the number one category. That property has not been clinically assessed. You have an emotional attachment. You made, you had a lovely trip to wherever it is. You've, you've relaxed. You've loved the lifestyle. You've gone, let's buy a property here. You haven't assessed the property on all the merits, um, you know, and all those checkpoints that we have to look for to make sure it's actually going to grow in value and make a good investment for you. And that is the conversation that will soon follow what drives property growth. Mm. Number three for now will be supply and demand. So again, it's kind of obvious. Demand has to continue to outstrip the supply of your investment so that your investment will grow, right? Not just for the area, but also for your property. So um, just to explain really briefly, again, I'm sure it's obvious, but when there is really high demand for something, but low supply, it will put upward pressure on price, right? We see it every day with oil, with bananas, <laughs> with avocados, with whatever yeah. it is that there is currently a shortage of right? Prices go up. It's the same with property. When there is low demand for something, but high supply, then the obviously the opposite is true. And prices generally will not be rising as much and they may even fall. We saw this as an example during the height of the early COVID pandemic back in sort of June, July 2020, here in Australia, in Melbourne, and in Sydney, and in Brisbane, in the inner city unit apartment, because suddenly all the tourists had gone. Mm -hmm. All the, the demand for all those thousands upon thousands of units had yeah. gone, almost overnight, gone, yeah. gone right? Yeah. So those unit values dropped in price significantly. The rental yield of those properties dropped dramatically by 100, 150, $200 a week, because people were desperate to get tenants. Typically, yeah high supply, very low demand, right? Mm. So the banks pulled back on how much they would lend you if at exactly. all. That's right, yeah. that's right. And I think some of those postcodes here in Sydney, sort of anecdotally, I think are still blacklisted, but um, for exactly but, that reason, right? But fair to say if you had deep yeah. pockets and you were a risk taker, 
that potentially some good um, value there. Absolutely, absolutely. Especially if you're an owner occupier looking to get into that first investment property in, into your first home, yeah. and and you know you you fancied a unit in a in a lovely sort of cafe society here in Sydney or in Melbourne. Absolutely, a golden opportunity. Mm-hmm. So so that high level of property supply and low demand is. Uh, obviously the buyer's market right because there's a lot of chop- stock to choose from yep. um, that will have can have in the shorter term a negative impact on capital growth right the lower level of property supply and high demand which is what we've really been seeing across a lot of Australia in the last 18 months it's the seller's market because there is not much stock to choose from don't we know it So, and that will have obviously a positive impact on capital growth. Like I said, that's what's essentially been happening for 18 months in Australia. We've had very low stock levels and very, very high demand from people, you know, moving interstate, coming in, you know, buying up property because there's Mm -hmm. a lot of cash that they have to spend. Mm -hmm. So the location is key. You might be able to renovate or update that property, but you will never be able to change its location, right? And likewise, Mm -hmm. buying an older house Um, or buying any old house, I should say, in any location doesn't mean the house will grow in value, right? Because if you've purchased the house in the wrong location, you might find that its value just doesn't increase that much, you know, because there are a number of issues, such as if there's a master plan community nearby, there's a declining population, or it's just positioned on a busy road, or, you know, whatever whatever its issue is. So, from the supply and demand perspective that we're still talking about, right? You need to buy the right property type mm-hmm. for that area and for the local people who live there um, and in that area that has the best chance of capital growth. That's kind of the best way I can think of to sum those things up. Those are really the basic criteria that we're looking for before we drill into any further nitty gritty. Does, okay. does that make sense? That's like property investment 101, right? It is. <laughs> it is. It is. It yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously so much in it of what makes a good location. Yes. Why do people want to live there? Um, mm. Who's going to rent my property? Yes. Who wants to move there and buy it as an owner-occupier? Yes. All those things. But um, I yes. guess you'll go into that. Absolutely. But those are the things that create the demand. Right. Yep. Those are the things you need to know mm-hmm. about that location so that you're buying in a location that's in demand, but also the property that's in demand. There's two different yep. things there, yep. right? Is that $100 a week out of pocket or $20 surplus a week means mm-hmm. nothing if you have no tenant? No, that's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. But you'll feel it a lot more if you've got it as $100 costing you $100 a week before you tax concessions, you'll feel that a lot more than a property that's essentially making you money where you can admittedly only 20 bucks a week, but that is an opportunity for you to build a little bit of a buffer while you do have tenants yeah. for if, you know, if, if those, if, 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 if circumstances change. Yeah. No, which brings us sort of get almost full circle back to a previous conversation that we had about building buffers and paying your loan off quicker right there you go i know <laughs> it's all related all interconnected people Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you kate yeah, that's all right and um, like i said we'll do we'll do more chats um soon because i think there's there's definitely a lot more to talk about certainly when, when it comes to what drives property growth yeah um, for us to talk about but i think we'll leave the lovely people alone for now so thank you for joining me and asking me hard questions. I love it. Thanks, Jay. Thanks. We'll see you all again. See you all again soon. Bye. Bye. 
Okay, getting straight on with it. Flooding and torrential downpours along the east coast of Australia actually did very little to dampen enthusiasm, pardon the pun, for the auction market last weekend. The number of properties offered for auction dropped slightly compared with the previous week, but there were still a healthy 2,945 properties put under the hammer across Australia. Results posted by CoreLogic showed that Sydney recorded a slightly lower clearance rate of 75%, while Melbourne was also slightly down to 71%. Even though Brisbane was hard hit by the floods, it recorded an auction clearance rate of 70% from 180 auctions. Adelaide recorded the highest clearance rate of 82% based on 194 auctions. Keep in mind that auctions are not the typical method of sale in these cities. Most properties are sold by private treaty. Canberra's clearance rate was 76% based on 140 auctions. The research website SQM Research says that there are still more properties being taken to auction than at the same time last year. They say that the drop in numbers of properties being taken to auction last week was reflective of the general seasonal slowdown in auctions at the start of March. Now, none of this takes into account the number of properties sold overall. This is purely auction figures only. Property owners are shopping around for better finance deals with the Australian Bureau of Statistic figures revealing $14.3 billion worth of refinanced loans in January. That is a lot of loans, everyone. Of that, 9.2 billion was owner-occupiers refinancing their loans, with the remaining of 5.1 billion coming from investors. These figures show that refinancing levels are over 18% higher than at the same time in 2021, while a record $181 billion worth of loans were refinanced in 2021. Now, those considering taking advantage of good rates on offer will need a loan-to-value ratio of more than 80%, while for borrowers locked into a fixed interest rate, the penalty for breaking that may not make it worthwhile. You will need to talk to your finance professionals about that. Most banks will seriously consider requests from current borrowers to match the fees offered and rates by other banks. I actually did this myself quite recently in an effort to keep their customers on their books. Now, this is called speaking with the customer retention department, everyone. Those borrowers who do get lower interest rates can shave years off their loans and save literally thousands of dollars in the long run if they maintain the higher level of repayments. Again, talk to your finance professionals about all of those things. Property listings are on the increase, with SQM research figures showing a 6.8% lift in the number of properties for sale. Nationally, residential property listings hit 214,000 in February, up from 200,000 in January. New listings in February rose the most in Canberra, up by 86%, followed by Sydney, which was up 81%. But new listings in February were only slightly higher than February 2021. The figures show that the number of properties sitting on the market for more than 180 days dropped by 0.6% in February and 48% on the same time last year. 
Nationally, new listings of less than 30 days increased 62% in February 2022 to just over 79,000 properties on the market to be up 4.3% over the year. The increase in listings has done little to dampen price growth, with asking prices up 1.8% for houses and 3.6% for units in February. In the last 12 months, asking prices for houses increased 22.5%, units 13.6%. Now, basically, listing numbers are still not increasing enough to take the heat out of most property markets. The very tight rental market means that the number of people in rental stress increased substantially in the last 12 months. At the same time, according to ME Bank's Household Financial Comfort Report, mortgage stress from owners actually reduced. The report surveyed 1,500 Australian households and found that 67% were in rental stress as their rent exceeded a third of their household disposable income. Now, this is typically how property managers will assess potential tenants' ability to afford your rental property, so it's an important figure. Almost a fifth of renters were in extreme rental stress, putting more than 60% of their income towards rent, and that level was just 12% 12, 12 months ago. The report says that rents are rising faster than incomes and renters are struggling to keep up with that and other cost of living increases. But it found that the number of owners dealing with mortgage stress dropped to 35% compared with 37% last year. ME Bank says that on the surface, the financial comfort of the average Australian looks better than ever, but it is fragile. Now, despite constant media speculation of a rise, the Reserve Bank of Australia has kept the official cash rate on hold at 0.1% for another month. Mortgage Choice say that although there was not enough wage growth to support a rise in March, strong economic conditions suggest that there is potential for an interest rate rise later in the year. Some banks have already started to increase fixed rates independently. They said that the Mortgage Choice monthly home loan approval data reveals demand for fixed rate mortgages has dropped to its lowest level in five months in February, with only 26% of borrowers opting to fix part or all of their mortgages compared to 43% in September 2021. Economists, our favourite type of speculator, had expected several rate rises this year, but that was before the war started in Ukraine. They think that the RBA will now sit on their hands longer than they otherwise would have. Okay, all you lovely ladies out there, that is it for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it and we hope that you found it super useful. You can email us with any questions that you have at info at thefemaleinvestor.com.au. 
Don't forget to pick up a copy of our book. You can go to your local bookstore or you can order it online on Amazon or Booktopia for those of you lovely ladies here in Australia. And head to thefemaleinvestor.com.au anyway, where you can click on the links. You can find loads of resources on investing, property news, hints, tips, and videos. It's awesome. We will be with you all again really, really soon. Stay safe and well, everyone. And bye for now.